gentlemen, do you think if we prayed hard enough, we could will the Europa League out of existence? Um, sorry, I'm just in the middle of uh, a really important prayer right now. Oh, okay, cool. No, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I can't do it again. I don't want to do it again. No. <laughs> I haven't got the energy, Richard. Well, when does it restart? At least just just work on the basis we've got like, I don't know, six weeks off now? Six weeks off from midweek mm. disappointment and ineptitude. Well, I mean, we play Sheffield United next week in midweek, so... You know, not that long. Anyway, everyone, welcome to a rather despondent, as you can imagine, episode of the Red Voices Manchester United podcast. Pleasure to have you here with us to just dissect another ridiculous night of football for Manchester United as they round out 3-2 losers to RB Leipzig and found themselves crashing out of the Champions League group stages. So it's you and Leonard, Richard Can, and Paul Gunning to discuss events over in Germany tonight. Let's start with Paul. How are they? Uh, just disappointed. Really disappointed. Um... Started the the Champions League campaign so well. Uh, it's just, it's really frustrating, you know, really frustrating. We started so well and then and then just gone out with a bit of a whimper. Yeah, well, I, I've I've finally broken on Ollie, despite my best efforts to to remain loyal forevermore. <laughs> you, I mean, you have not been quiet during the last. Two years of uh, in, when it comes to Ollie's shortcomings. Yeah, but, no, but so the fact I've accepted that you, you, them. You... I've accepted that he has shortcomings. I've, I've given him. Well, I've, I've hoped that he would improve in those in those things. I've, I've looked for signs, tried to see a, an improvement, a more positive outlook. But what we're seeing now is just 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 tactical ineptitude, really. Mm. Going into this game considering it was five years to the day, the anniversary of the game against Wolfsburg, which again, we needed a result in an away game in Germany to qualify for the, from the Champions League group stages into the knockouts. I was trying to dampen my expectations and try and be as much of a doom monger as humanly possible just to stave off how bad it would feel if we get knocked out of the group stages once again and go into the Europa League, having just escaped it mere months ago. But even I was surprised by how frustrating and difficult it is to accept yet another drop off from United in the way that this game went. I mean, I guess we just started with the lineup. I mean, we've got plenty of bad stuff to talk about over the course of this episode, but I guess it's right there, isn't it? You know, it was terrible, terrible preparation. You know, Rashford and Bruno both ended up playing against West Ham, which we'll come into a little bit later on. Cavani and Martial both injured, didn't even make the trip. Mino Raiola spouting his mouth off once again, which didn't necessarily help the preparation. And then we end up with a 3-5-2. Now, admittedly, Paul, I looked at that lineup and thought, if United can maintain defensive shape and be good on the counter-attack and take their chances, there's a way that lineup gets the result. But I did not see that level of defensive ineptitude and disorganisation coming, even though we've had plenty of examples of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, when I saw the lineup, I thought, well... I can completely see what he's doing. We only need a draw. He's he's picked this team to keep it tight. Um, you know, as long as they stay organised. But you know, just at least for the first or sort of ten, fifteen minutes, just don't concede. And I know look, Leipzig are a very, very good team on the day, and they, and they they played really well. But we were a shambles. The actual lineup, I didn't have, particularly have a problem with because I could completely see what he was going for. What pissed me off was 
the fact that he did nothing we were when we were two nil down and actually you know they had a goal disallowed as well so it could very easily have been three nil down and he didn't do anything he just he, you know he, he did nothing um when it was cl- clear that it, when the second goal went in a it wasn't working and b the game plan had to change because he'd set up to defend and now we needed to score at least two goals and he was doing nothing you know that for me was was just a huge frustration and you know you got players like Pogba and Van der Beek on on the on the bench just switch it back to four at the back and put another creative player on the pitch as soon as things go wrong and and that's the part of the problem with Solskjaer I think is that he he's he doesn't react quickly enough you know uh, when he gets his tactics wrong from the beginning and things go badly he doesn't react quickly enough and he's paid the price tonight yeah, although I'm surprised, surprised you say you didn't see that level of shambles in that first half. I mean, not... well, let, let me let me give you Go my reasoning then. for that. Like the way in which Leipzig kept on doing diagonal balls over to uh, Angelino, it was so easy and so blatantly obvious that Wambasaka had to get tighter to his man from the first couple of mm. minutes because it was a pretty straightforward cross. And don't get me wrong, it's a great finish by the the right back, sorry, the left back. You know, he's hit that first time and De Gea's got no chance. It's been it very sweetly. But they kept doing that five or six times. I mean, I've lost count of the amount of times I was literally pointing at my screen tonight, somehow hoping that Wambasaka might notice what I was doing from my home in Derby and he might actually move up and start closing down that space. But he never did. He looked completely overawed. The way in which he really did bless him. It's, it's I mean, organisation. I mean, I tweeted at 7.59, bring forth, forth the first half shambles, you know? It's it's that predictable. Mm. Um, we didn't we we played the same as we did against West Ham in the first half of the weekend. You know, the, but against the, a much better team. Yeah, against against a much better team. But but we've seen this before. It, it, it's it's defensive organisation. The whole point of playing five at the back was surely because you've watched Leipzig and you've seen that their their wing backs two of the most dangerous attacking players. You know, Angelino that's scored seven goals from from left wing back this season. And he's he's he ostensibly plays as a winger at times. Now, if if you're Ollie, your your instruction to your two wing backs or full backs is never leave ten yards away from Angelino. Do you know what I think? That surely he he must have said that though. And, he, and but we've seen it before. We've seen it before. The whole if you watch whichever side of the pitch, the when we're playing with a five, whichever side of the pitch the ball is on, the whole defence shifts across. You could see you could see we all we all shifted across in that line. And oh, we do it all the time. We yeah. do it all the time, and it's got to be instructed. Mm. There's no way they do the same thing every game. You know, the, against Brighton, we saw we saw that happen again and again and again and again. The whole defense shift, shifted across to the left, and we Solly March scored from there. They could have scored two or three goals from that side, and we we see it game mm. after game after game. The defense is playing in 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 a concerted line in a shape, and they're all moving in concert with each other. But what they're being instructed to do isn't what's needed, you know. If he'd have said to 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 Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you you stand within ten fifteen yards of Angelino at every point when they've when Leipzig have the ball, doesn't matter how far up the pitch he is, you just go and shadow him everywhere on that pitch. Wan-Bissaka can do that, you know. That's that's almost his his strength, isn't it? His strength is one to you know one to one marking, mm. defending against a against an offensively dangerous player. You know, but we were clearly told to be moving across. And the same thing happened on the second goal. It's just everybody had, mm. everybody had moved the other way. The cross comes in. Tellers and Shaw have tucked across. 
and the, the right wing back's got nobody marking him. Well, I mean, one of the things that Nagelsmann seemed to be saying as well to Angelino was don't get sucked into a battle with Wan-Bissaka in terms of going into 1v1. He got rid of the ball pretty quickly and pretty well because he had enough space and time to do so. You know, he never got dragged into trying to take him on. He got either shot or he got rid of the ball. And it was a great cross to Hadara, again, to make it two. And at that stage, 13 minutes in, and don't forget, this was only like a couple of minutes after Greenwood had gone through on goal and really either should have passed to Rashford to shoot or hit the target and got it past the goalkeeper because it was such a weak shot from Greenwood. That's the one player in this team, apart from maybe Cavani, that I would have put money on scoring goal, scoring a goal in that sort of situation. But that was just typical of our night. Very few players in a United shirt look confident. You know, it, it just, regardless of the fact that we only lost by one goal in the end, it was just haphazard. It was chaos from the off. And to go in 2-0 down at halftime, Paul, we were pretty goddamn lucky. You know, Leipzig had a third correctly uh, chalked off for offside from a corner. But the, the organisation at that stage, even to allow that to happen, you wouldn't necessarily have said that they were undeserving of a three-goal lead. United were just that bad. Yeah, it reminded me actually of the um, first half against City in the Carabao Cup last season at Old Trafford. Um, mm. And I was at that game and it was, I said at the time, it was an ordeal and... We couldn't lay a glove on them. Leipzig, the passing was just so crisp. They looked so comfortable on the ball. And we looked kind of overwhelmed and uh, just couldn't get a grip on the game at all. I don't know. You know, Oli definitely has to take a huge amount of responsibility, not just for tonight, but for the decision not to take Fred off against PSG and, you know, the shocking performance in Turkey. Um, You know, we we did so much of the hard work in the first two games of this group stage and all undone really I agree with what Rich is saying about the defence you know I can't understand what the tactics were at the back or have been at the back all season but can you really is Oli really telling them to do that I mean or are they just getting sucked towards the ball because of I don't know inexperience or lack of quality or but we have just we have been compact it's it's insane one one of the most frustrating things is one of the, the, the one thing that Oli's ostensibly been good at since he since he came in is is creating a, a compact united team that counterattacks you know that was his in particularly in the the first uh the first few months of his um of his time at united but you think about the the, the one nil away win at spurs and i know De Gea had a lot to do with that as well but but you look at those 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 kind of games again. City away last season. We were compact. We had we were tight. We were compact. We played well against the big sides because we were able to do that because they were more more offensive. We could be compact at the back, keep it tight, and then use the the quality and the the pace of the forward players we've got to 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 hit on the break. We've completely stopped being compact. So so I don't believe I don't believe those players have just stopped doing what they would all of them just stopped doing whatever they were doing last season or or the, or the in the earlier period of of Ollie's time at United. I don't believe they've just completely forgotten what they were supposed to do. And I don't believe if you told Aaron Wan-Bissaka to just stand within 10 yards of Angelino, he couldn't he wouldn't do it. You know, that's <clears throat> clearly clearly defenders are making terrible mistakes. You know, the, the third goal was just laughable between Maguire and De Gea. But, but every single <laughs> mm. goal... Who are we going to give more blame to on that one, Rich? Oh, God, I don't know. It was just it was just abject from both. But but the, the wider point being, if you, if, if you have a defensive system that's disorganised, then 
players will panic and players will make mistakes. It's just it's just inevitable. You know, if people if if people are, if they aren't comfortable in the system or the or the in the defence that they're part of, then defenders get jittery. Defenders make mistakes. You know, I think if mm. you know, I, I God, I wouldn't have Mourinho back in a million years. But if you honestly think that we do, we do concede that goal, we we conceded in Istanbul under Mourinho. Honestly, oh no, absolutely not that one. No, and I don't. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past Manchester United in the modern day, to be fair, Rich. But I do take your point. You know, I, I think that regardless of how uninspiring we were under Mourinho and the fact that we were pretty defensively poor under Mourinho, the level of disorganisation was not as bad as it has been at times under Solskjaer. And there's very little getting away from that. You know, the way we conceded the first two goals in the opening 15 minutes was bad enough. The concede the third in that way with both Maguire and De Gea waiting for the other to do something. I mean, we've spoken about the perceived lack of communication and trust between the back four and the goalkeeper frequently over the course of the last year. And no more was that on show than that third goal. No one takes responsibility. And it seems very easy to say it. I don't necessarily think that goal happens if Dean Henderson is in net. And I know it's really easy to kick the hair when he's down, but this isn't the first time that we've been lamenting that they disorganised between the, the five of them when it comes to that back four and the goalkeeper. We see this too much. And, you know, there is an element that Solskjaer has, you know, for, for better or worse, back De Gea because of what he's done for the club or because he's on whatever amount of money, etc. You know, we'll put that to one side. Right now, there is a decision to be made in terms of who should be starting in goal. And if De Gea is giving away one goal every, what, 10 days or so, that's one goal too many. And Henderson could be starting in that position and potentially giving us more than De Gea is because a simple goalkeeper, a more confident goalkeeper who is willing to at least go out and grab the ball and dictate a little bit more is going to get to that ball. De Gea there was pensive and slow and didn't react. And that... Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I think that's been a problem for ages. I was saying that after the Spurs game, I don't think it's Mm. just... I don't think it's just what De Gea does or doesn't do as, as a goalkeeper I think the defence have no confidence in him anymore I don't think, I don't think they have since the, towards the end of last season I think one one, um, one thing that's always been the case with De Gea is that he's been he, he, he doesn't come off his line enough he doesn't come off his line quickly yeah. enough you know he's been an absolutely world class stopper, stopper at times but he's never dominated his area from, from crosses from in terms of really getting out and, and claiming balls and I think that was another example of where he just he, he just dithered he just dithered when he needed to come out and clean out the the ball and the any player that was coming in and he just took too long and you know that's, yeah, that's and, his and constant problem we were on top at the time as well and in terms of like the, the we were so much better in the second half I mean you know we were still fluffing chances and it, there was no real well, we hit the crossbar, we hit the crossbar seconds, seconds before, before the third yeah. goal and we, we just mm. looked those better I mean we, we weren't cl- anywhere near clinical enough but we you know we had a foothold in the game mm. and it felt like if we can get one goal back that could sow a bit of panic in their defence and then to hit the crossbar and then just to, to concede that goal was just like a hammer blow, really. It was just, you know. How many? How did you go from there? How, how many goals have we conceded this season that have been truly exceptional? Exceptional goals. No, it really, rarely have Brilliantly yeah. worked. They don't, team don't, goals. they don't need to be, do they? No, we're conceding from from corners. We're conceding from yeah. the most basic crosses. The, you know, we, PSG scored a couple of decent goals last last week, but yeah, they're few and far between. But even if you think about mm. P- PSG's first goal, it was just a bit of a 
pin, ball pinballing around. I think it came off Lindelof yeah. and went to to Neymar, and you know, and by by the time they got the third, we were we were throwing people forward with ten men and completely out of shape. You know, it's and the other one was from again from a, a corner we didn't defend properly. Um, teams don't have to do anything special to break us down. That's the problem. No, no, no. That, that's been the same thing all season, and especially in a game like this where United needed to be difficult to break down. The fact that we weren't, and the fact that we shipped, not. I mean, they were well worked goals, but they were preventable, and that's the frustrating thing. And the third one in particular, as you said, Paul, we had a little bit of momentum, and yeah, I felt that too. I felt if we could get one back, then this Leipzig side would crumble a little bit. And you saw with the way that the response to the second goal in particular, they looked scared. You know, if United had maybe been a bit sharper in their passing and their execution, we could have found a way to get back to 3-3. I mean, Lord knows if he might have conceded again on that because that would have meant that Leipzig would have been going out. And I really didn't want to poke that bear too much. And they did show enough danger on the break to suggest that it could have put the game to bed. But we got exactly what we deserved tonight. Yes, I'm pleased to a certain extent that we came back and at least scored two goals, but it was it's pointless. You know, playing and scoring goals when you're 3-0 down in a must-not-lose game in Europe is redundant. You know, it, it's examples like this where we've seen Solskjaer in quote-unquote must-win games or big games, and his record is so, so patchy. You look at the Sevilla game, you know, defensive disorganisation cost us there. Terrible game against Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final last season. You know, we have ground our way through victories in games like the Leicester game in, at the end of last season where we just needed to avoid defeat. I was hoping for something like that tonight, but we were so far removed from being able to produce it. And again, it's down to organisation. It, it's The players are much the same than they were last year. There's just... I mean, again, going into this game, the way in which we threw away the opportunity to go through against Paris was still very fresh in the mind, Paul. And I know that a lot of people have been talking about the Istanbul game, which is terrible. But in terms, I think the Paris one still rankles with me because we didn't deserve to win in Turkey. We should have won last week. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think you said actually just before we started recording that you you know you have these sort of freak results like the, the, the game in Turkey every now and then where the team just doesn't turn up and it's just a, you know, a, a really bad day at the office. Whereas against PSG, we only needed to, needed to draw that game. I thought, we, you know, obviously after the, we started badly in that game, PSG started well, but certainly after half-time, for probably the first 20 minutes of the second half, we were the better team really and we had some good chances, we hit the bar. But I, I, you probably covered this on the last pod that I was on there, but... Uh, oh, you weren't listening. Did, I didn't. I've not had time to listen. I, I, I couldn't listen. Oh, because I was really annoyed. I was annoyed with Solskjaer. Um, you know the the Fred situation. Why take the risk? Why run that risk? It's just such a mm. such a such a stupid decision not to take Fred off. Fridge, that's the language we use. Yeah. It is though. I mean, it's just so basic. Yeah. Yeah. The whole world could see that he needed to take him off, <clears throat> and he didn't take him off. And 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 it's a risk that he didn't need to take. Um, at a time in the game, this... at a time in the game as well, when United were were playing balls to the wall, we were we were basically playing it as if it was a an FA Cup semi final. It was nil nil, and yeah. someone had to win it. And we needed a point yeah. in that game. We needed a point. We could have we could yeah. have just just calmed down a bit, been a bit more compact. You know, Bruno drop a bit deeper. Everybody just sit in a bit. Stop throwing throwing players forward. But we didn't. We didn't. We we, we made it. We we essentially allowed the game to be chaotic. And and that 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 con, 
contributed to Fred being sent off as well because the game's game's so chaotic that he's having to make challenges all the time to prevent dangerous situations and and throw himself into things. We we never ever ever have have control over a match. I think that uh, I do think a lot of that is down to experience or lack of experience not on the sidelines and you know in the, with Solskjaer and his coaching mm. team and with numerous players as well. I said before, Juan Bissaka looked overawed certainly at the beginning of tonight's match. You know, Harry Maguire's not got that much experience at this level. Very few of the players have got that much experience at this level, really. I thought Van der Beek did well when he came on, and you know, yeah, obviously he, he was he was decent mm-hmm. for Ajax in this competition. Pogba's played this competition before, and he played well when he came on, other than that horrific hospital pass uh, through the second half. But I thought he showed. I mean, Greenwood, I thought played well tonight, but it, you know, his finishing it was nothing like the Greenwood we know and love, and that. You know, it's the, sure that's got to be the occasion. Rashford, his finishing was abysmal as well. Well, this is the thing, though, isn't it? We we've been riding our luck a lot, a lot this season. We have, yeah, you know, five Premier League away games, and we've fallen behind in each and every one of them. We have been relying on our forwards and our creative players to bail us out, and you know, we we've come back from two 0 down, we've come back from one 0 down, but three 0 down is is what was too much of a tall order tonight. And United, they keep saying it in every post-match interview, and I'm getting tired of hearing the players say it. They all say, we have to stop starting games like this. We have to stop having to come from behind and start trying to take control of games more. But we seem to be getting further and further away from doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we are. And I think it's worth, it's worth pointing out as well, you might disagree with me, but, but I think ollie has got a more talented squad than either of his two predecessors have had at any point. No, no, I agree he's got totally. Bit, he's got, which is down to him. He, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I think he's been very good at two things. I think he's been very, very. I think he is good at man management. I don't think there's ever been a point where the play he's lost the players in the way that, or the players lo- have lost complete confidence in him as a manager in the way that they did under LVG and and Mourinho. I do think he's recruited well. I know some people are disagreeing with me, but have, have disagreed with me on this. But I still think if if you look at what players are before they get Uniteded, you know. Harry Maguire. I don't think Harry Maguire is <laughs> going to be a world class defender, but Sis didn't want you for no reason. He he was very very good at, at Leicester, you know. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka was one of the most noted right back prospects in the world at the time we, we we bought him. You know, these aren't terrible footballers. We've brought in Alex Alex Tellers. We've got more competition at left back than than the last two managers have had. Um. And, We've quite clearly got the most talent we've had in midfield. Well, prob- no, in fact, we've probably got more talent in midfield than Fergie's last team. You know, we were we were chucking out Tom Cleverley next to a 30, 30 <laughs> whatever it was, 35-year-old Michael Carrick for most of that last season in, in 2000 that we won the title. So we've got way more talent in a lot of key areas. We've we've got, more, you know, Rashford's older and, and you know more mature as a footballer than he was under, under Mourinho or... Um, LVG. Um, we've, he's now got Cavani mm. as a, as, a, as a second, really sort of high class alternative centre forward. He's got better players than those than those managers had, and we are winning games. Those better players are winning games or have been winning games in spite of Oli, not because of him. That's that's ultimately what I believe. And and you could see the reason you have this first half, second half thing is because. We're not tactically set up well in the first half. We don't have the intensity. We're disorganised. But ultimately, the opposition gets tired. And if you're still in the game at the point at, in, at the point in the match where the opposition starts to tire and gets a little bit more loose, 
then that's when guys like Rashford, guys like um, Fernandez, you know, bringing bringing Pogba on as we have against in that situation, you, you know, he clearly completely changes changes the game. Um, we're we're doing better in those late periods because we've got really good players who are taking advantage of, of spaces and tired and tired defenders. You know, Fernandez and Rashford came on a half time at the weekend, and and West Ham, you know, that every little gap that they could have taken advantage of, we did. We're wasting these these players. I honestly believe if you stuck Jurgen Klopp in in charge of this team and gave him six months of them we'd be in a title race no I mean I don't disagree this is the thing I, I, I it's frustrating because everything you said there in terms of the quality available to Solskjaer at the minute is true and I don't think it gets better immediately overnight longer term medium term to longer term I think it gets better if someone if, if the coaching staff improves if a better manager with more tactical awareness comes in and we stop being so reactive we start trying to assert ourselves on games a little bit more and we start cutting out these tactical organizational errors that are just plaguing this start to the season you know it's ongoing and it doesn't feel like we're getting any close to sorting it out you know it's gotten worse in some ways since Ali took over you know it wasn't fantastic last season you know when when we got drawn in this group I just want to remind everyone that no one gave us a, 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 a kind of hell's chance of getting out of it no, 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 true. But we started those two games so well, Paul. I mean, that was the thing. We gave ourselves yeah, we such did. a good platform Absolutely. to go through. We did. You know, we won those first two games, you know, beat this team that we lost to tonight an absolute cancer. Obviously, it looks like a bit of an outlier now. Looks like Nagelsmann got his tactics completely wrong in that game at Old Trafford. But we went to Istanbul and we played poorly. We played poorly at some points in the game against Paris Saint-Germain last week but through the game away with some poor decisions both on the pitch and off it and tonight when everything needed to be on point very little of it was and it's it's so frustrating especially as Maguire pointed out tonight in post-match we put so much effort into trying to get back into the Champions League to go out like this is just such a kick in the teeth and it just feels like you know, we were all so relieved to get top four last season at the end of the Premier League campaign, and we're already out of the, the competition. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying we, we would have gone on to win it, but there was at least an opportunity for us to have some exciting nights and some good games because it's been great to have the Champions League games to look forward to because they're such great occasions. And now we've got the Europa League, and I'm not necessarily really looking forward to that. I mean, I, I joked at the start of the competition, so the start of the evening's episode. Rich, I don't want to play the Europa League no. anymore. Like, I would be happy. I'm going to put this question to you both. Rich, would you be happy if the reserves and the uh, younger players, the youth players, got chances to play in the Europa League games when it kicks back off in the new year? I think it depends who we draw. Obviously, you have to put out a team that's going to be competitive in a given game. But I don't see any issue with with certainly playing a changed team who, you know, essentially playing playing the League Cup team or or, or thereabouts. I don't know how how ready a lot of the, the 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 really talented youth players we've got at the moment are to make a big contribution. But I think it's certainly worth involving. A few of them. I mean, it's it's a good opportunity for me to to perhaps get people get players like Medjbri or um, or Anthony Alanga um, and one or two others involved in a sort of 
match day squad and in the in the European football and going away on these away trips and whatever. Um, so I mean, there is an opportunity to it, just as last season's Europa League gave us an opportunity to involve and, and develop um, Mason Greenwood. So so it's not without it's not without merit that being in the competition. I think the wider issue with being in the Europa League again next year is that it's probably cost us a Jaden Sancho or equivalent next summer because you're looking at a. It looks like we're unlikely to have full stadia again before the end of ne- the end of the season. I think it's really, really unlikely. Even with the vaccines, it's going to take you know six, seven months to, to to vaccinate a large proportion of the population. So we're looking at probably a whole season with no more than a few thousand people in. So United are losing you know three or four million quid a game home game without that Champions League money it just doesn't seem plausible that that we, we're going to have you know we're going to be we're going to have a 60 70 million deficit in terms of European earnings again next season so this this really does have quite significant consequences unless unless of course we, we win the Europa League I mean that's that's the other thing do we do we go for that on the basis it's the only way we can qualify for the Champions League next year it's not the only way well no, I beg your pardon it's 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 it's, it's a, a route which is as as good as a, as any other to to get in the Champions League. Well, I, I think if you're looking at the kind of inconsistencies that inconsistent that we're showing this season, I think we can definitely we can definitely finish in the top four because it, so many teams are so inconsistent. But I still think it's going to be very very difficult. And you you know that generally speaking, for certainly for a few rounds of the Europa League, you're likely to be playing lower quality opposition. I mean, to me, Premier League versus Europa League, if United are battling for the top four, then I don't think it's compatible for us to be going for that goal and the Europa League at the same time. You do not see it happen with any English club. They do not do well when trying to juggle the Europa League and a Premier League campaign at the same time. One always has to give. It just never works. If we're in a top four battle at the time when the Europa League kicks back up, I won't necessarily shed too many tears of being out of it, especially with the way this season is panning out. If it was the Champions League, I would be saying something completely different. But if we're going to talk about prioritising in a season like no other with the amount of games that we've still got to go with the League Cup coming up and the FA Cup and the Premier League, we'll see where we are when we get to that point when the Europa League kicks back up. Oh God, that sentence made me upset, so upset. (laughs) Paul, what do you think? Uh, I think I've been inclined to agree with you, you, and I think it's um, for, for me. It's oh God, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but it's more important to get in the top four than win the Europa because the Europa League is a cup competition. Obviously, you know you can get knocked out at any time, and if you've sacrificed, you know, numerous points in the in the league, and then you get knocked out in say the semi final again, like last season. You know, we, we scraped into the, the top four last season. I, mean, I know we finished third, but it was tight. And that was definitely in part, in my opinion, due to you know the Europa League football. So, yeah, I think it's one of where where until you get to the latter stages, if you happen to get to the latter stages, I think you 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 do you play some of the younger players and some of the reserves and maybe some players coming back from injury or whatever, you know that kind of thing. It's just a, it's a competition. That I've just sort of I'm over it. I just <laughs> I'm sick of it. Oh, I'm so tired of it. I mean, a full year of it is yeah. one thing. Dropping into it, the indignity. <laughs> it's too much to handle. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. 
Right, back to chat more. Um, before we go on to uh, Saturday's game against West Ham, quick note on United women, because uh, actually, Rich, you can talk to us about the under-23s as well, who had a nice, decent game at the weekend, or a ridiculous game. Starting with the women, who had a very useful 2-0 win over Aston Villa. It wasn't necessarily a most inspired performance. Goals from Leah Goldson, which was excellently well taken, and Ella Toon towards the end, chipping it into an empty net after the goalkeeper had rushed out. It was functional. Uh, you could see United coming back from the international break with uh, little in the way of fluidity. You know, we had so many misplaced passes in the final third, but United ground out a really decent 2-0 victory. And in truth, very rarely looked uh, under threat apart from one chance for Villa in the first half that hit the bar. United was able to coast through that pretty easily, which is good. You know, they're coming up against uh, Reading, I think it is, this weekend. And with City, Chelsea and Arsenal all winning on Sunday of last weekend... It's big to keep that gap as it is at the moment. United cannot afford to be dropping points this month, so a good victory. And Rich, you were watching the Under-23s this weekend? Yeah, we've talked in the last couple of years about the way that the academy has been recruiting very aggressively and and very well. Um, and I think that's, that's starting to, to bear fruit on the pitch. I mean, the under-18s are now um, top of their league. They um, played previous leaders, Liverpool, um, at the weekend in you know, an absolutely ridiculously um, topsy-turvy game. 2-0 up in the first half, went 3-2 down, then came back to win 4-3 to go top of the table with the, with the game in hand as well. And the under-23s beat Southampton 3-1. They are now, I think, three. That's, they're down in fifth or sixth, but still, but they're only three points off the off the top. Uh, Premier League 2, under-23s. Um, bearing in mind that, that last season they were playing in the, essentially, the second division of Premier League 2. Um, and that the... Um, under 18s haven't really been competitive for well for a couple of years really. Um, they're really good signs, and I think you've, we've we've got a real core of very talented kids coming through. You know, you look at you can look at both sides, and and I could I could suggest four or five players I think have got potential to to be playing for the first team. And so it's 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 really exciting time. Um, and obviously we've seen we saw um, against Southampton the the uh, another performance by um, Palestri who is starting to adjust quite nicely I, I haven't seen it but I believe he scored against um, Accrington tonight in the um, Football League trophy defeat we lost 3-2 obviously watching the, the, the seniors game but um, he's starting to look more adjusted it, it, it's, it, it's, it must be a bit of a culture shock to him he's you know it's a proper cold night against Southampton really ice you know frozen bollocks weather and and he's getting kicked all over the place and he, he'll have to go through a similar um process that Medjby has been where whereby he's he Medjby's really toughened up and takes a lot of knocks and, and just gets up and gets on with it and Palestri's learning that as well and he scored a really good goal so I think there's an awful lot to be um excited about at, at youth level just as there is mm. for the the women as well. Paul, you want to bring us back down to earth with a brief appraisal of that first half in the uh, West Ham Stadium? Yeah, it was shite. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Now, there is one important... Yeah, shite seems to be about right there, Paul. Um, which was worse, tonight or Saturday? I, I mean, mean, West Ham could have been... It's comparing two up. very slightly to varying shades of shit, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, West Ham could have been... But uh, they both both teams could have been three, four goals to the good against us really at half time, couldn't they? I mean, mm. ugh, again, just completely shambolic. And then the second half, just loads better. And uh, you know, it's very obviously. You know, we threw Bruno Fernandes on and Rashford on, and 
I've seen a lot of people saying, "Well, we're a one-man team," and and in many ways we are. Bruno, you know, when Bruno doesn't play well, we don't tend to play well, and that's true. But um, the players that Solskjaer put out against West Ham on Saturday, you know, to start the game should have should have had enough, really. Well, I mean, the one thing, the obvious change for me in that lineup is swapping Pogba and Van der Beek over, but I don't even know if that makes too much of a difference given the way that we started that game, right? I mean, it was so low intensity yeah. and we've seen that happen so much over the last couple of months and it doesn't seem something that the manager and the team are able to resolve. We just start games with such a lethargic energy. And even when we don't in Southampton, we still concede goals from stupid opportunities. Yeah. You know, the goal for Suchek was a pretty straightforward corner. You know, it's tipped on and Tellers loses his man and Suchek just hits him from long range. And it could have been way worse before then. Four nails with a wonderful chance and hitting the post. There was an opportunity where I've forgotten the name of the gentleman, but he was through on goal and then fell over, which was <laughs> yeah. hilarious. That was Haller, that was Haller wasn't it? Yeah, Haller. Oh, bless him. <laughs> Poor lad. I mean, that that was... I mean, I almost laughed, but I was that sort of glum about the whole thing that I barely allowed myself a right chuckle. And it wasn't until, oddly enough, Mata came on for Martial uh, in about, what, the hour mark that United actually seemed to get some sort of a foothold in the game. And... By the time we did get that foothold, we suddenly were ahead, Rich. You know, it, it it's all down to the superior quality that, that those front players and those forwards have when they get the ball and they get a little bit of space. And it caused such consternation from West Ham. I mean, side note, Moyes and West Ham might have been a little bit unlucky with the uh, ball out from Dean Henderson that led to the initial goal. But who really cares? Yeah, I, I think it's just one of those those incidents that's so rare so unusual and there's just no way of checking it that you just have to I mean I still don't know whether it was in or out so you know it's just one of those things the reality is that the West Ham has have to play on anyway and they have to they have to stop what happened but it's another game where we were we were bailed out by brilliant goals by really talented forwards really you know we played we obviously played a lot better in the second half and West Ham were far were, were all over the place really I don't think they I think they got I think they were really so comfortable in the first half and, and United had so little to, to actually damage them with that they almost almost came out in the second a bit a bit complacent or like stays. I think, think that's Solskjaer's tactics is lull, lull the opposition to his full sense of security until they feel you reckon? completely comfortable and, and then just yeah. pounce. It's genius. Cling on, well, cling on desperately until the it's revolutionary. Half. Yeah, I mean, it, we proved it tonight in a game where Leipzig were able to, you know, and, and even when they scored their third <laughs> goal, we had what one really good opportunity. I mean, we were better, but we hit the crossbar, and you couldn't necessarily say we deserved to get back into the game. But we still scored two goals in the last ten minutes, and it's just a reminder that United have got the tools to hurt you if you switch off. And West Ham switched off, and. Pogba's goal. I know that we've got plenty to talk about when it comes to Paul Pogba and I'm kind of reticent 40 minutes into this episode to get into a big discussion on Pogba right now because what more is there to say? But if we're going to talk about individual moments, that goal was absolutely exquisite. Good work from Bruno Mm -hmm. to set him up. The fact that when Bruno is running across goal, Pogba is closer to the centre circle than he is to the opposition goal. The way he takes his stride and gets that ball curling around, I think it was Suchek, and it's going away from Fabianski. Fabianski's in the middle of his goal when that shot is struck, and he still has no chance whatsoever. An absolutely wonderful goal, and United somehow back in the game. And then two minutes later, suddenly we're ahead. Nick football makes sense because that was nonsense. That was nonsense. 
It was, but again, we, we've scored. We, we scored two two goals from just brilliant moments of individual individual quality, didn't we? Really, Pogba's goal was an absolute blatter from I don't know, it must have been over twenty five yards out, and, and Greenwood's as well. You know, it was, it was a pretty basic cross in along the floor, and Greenwood had to control it behind his, you know, with his back to goal, and and that first touch just flicked it round him, and then then he hit, you know, pretty pretty much hit the shot in the only place he could have hit it with with enough power to go in and it, it was just two moments of brilliance and then once once we were ahead then West Ham had to cut had to open up and we were the one thing we're absolutely exceptional at is make, taking advantage of tired teams who aren't compact anymore and, and leaving a lot of space and again the Rashford's goal was a lovely little finish from an absolutely ridiculously good matter through ball but it's it's just all players it's all individuals doing something special doing something great that's that, that that brings goals. Teams are to some degree afraid of Bruno and Rashford particularly because because they're moments players. Even I, I wouldn't even say that he, that either of them has played well in the majority of individual games this season, but they they have moments where they they will just change a game even when they're playing badly and that's almost the most important thing for us at the moment because there isn't a system. There isn't you know how many goals do we score where we where it's a, a, a long passing move and there's you know we basically ticky tack our way through through the back four or, or whatever else we don't because we don't have that that structure we do that um, much more when we've got players like van der beek and, and Massa as well he's i think had a really really yeah. good season and i was really surprised i didn't bring him on this evening against leipzig mm. um we've got the likes of fernandez Massa, mm. and van der beek or pogba i suppose when he when he's playing well which I don't think he has much this season, but he played well in the second half against West Ham. Those players are capable and, and uh, of sort of intricate passing moves. And then you've got the lightning speed of Rashford and Greenwood to sort of finish them off. But I know what you mean. We, we don't score mm. enough goals like that. We do rely yeah. too much on moments of brilliance from individuals. But what's frustrating for me, I think, is that we're clearly not very good defensively. <laughs> so <No>. why <laughs> set up to play defensively? You know, on, 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 I know we didn't set up to play defensively against West Ham, but certainly against Leipzig we did, against PSG last week we did to begin with. And yet when we actually try and take the game to the, these, these teams with the right players on the pitch, with, with creative players on the pitch, we can actually go toe-to-toe with them at times. Well, I mean, it's all right though, Paul, because, you know, we, we move on, we go again. And we just got the small matter of City on Saturday. Looking forward to it, we've got a good record against them. Oh, I mean, Oli has a surprisingly half-decent record against Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. But, uh, I mean, I might feel different about it by the time we roll round to Saturday afternoon. But honestly, right now, the thought of playing City, knowing that they will be able to rest the majority of their big players because they've already qualified for the knockout stage of the Champions League, and especially after what we've seen tonight. I mean... Put it this way, I'm glad I'm not the motivational speaker who's got to gear up that squad yeah. for that game be flat, on, at the weekend. Oh, I mean, the way that, that everything went tonight and the way that things went last week and the way that we've shot ourselves in both feet and then somehow in the face uh, when it came to trying to get out of this group and the way that Solskjaer's now got to try and turn around this squad mentally and get them set up for the City game, the Derby, Rich, it's just... I mean, we're almost... We've said plenty of this stuff before. So let's get your thoughts on City at the weekend and where you're currently at. So, Rich, you're first up. 
you think about how we beat City twice last season in the uh, in the league, and both both games were examples of United being very compact defensively and absolutely murdering them. Not murdering, he didn't murder them on the counter in the home game, but playing on the counter effectively and then taking chances when we got them. At the moment, we're not doing either of those things. I think it's it's been well noted that we're we're not scoring. I know it's a terrible, terrible statistic, but I think our performance versus XG before the weekend's game was what was the worst in the Premier League. Um, and it, it shouldn't be because we, we have got really good forwards who can who should be better at, at finishing. But 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 the hard the, the, the tougher thing is that we're just not compact either. And I, I fear we're gonna see far more of the home game in the League Cup semi-final than we did in the, of the home game in the league uh, last season um, because you know ultimately City have got the quality and, and we seem completely incapable of starting games with any intensity or organisation at all and you know Christ if that happens we're going to get massacred <laughs> I, I wish I felt a bit more confident I mean we can win the game look we keep we keep pulling results out of our ass, and every time that Ollie looks like he's on his last legs, or, or that it's it's perhaps running away from him, he gets a result in a game, and and everything's forgotten, and you kind of stumble on for another three or four weeks. So we could win that game, but if if something doesn't change, if we if that game's approached in the same way that we've been approaching games for the last six weeks, they're going to whip us, and we'll we'll be two or three down by half time. So something's got to change significantly, I think. City game, I am a bit worried about it, I'll, I'll be honest. I They've had a pretty inconsistent start to the season, but they, they just look recently like they're sort of clicking into gear a little bit. Uh, we're obviously going to be really flat after tonight's disappointment. <clears throat> um, we'll have Fred back, which I actually think we we missed Fred this evening. I think we missed his energy, so there's that. <clears throat> we need some of our top players to hit a bit of form. I mean, Martial's been poor this season. I don't think Rashford's played that brilliantly this season, other than kind of little um, bursts. Obviously, there's the Pogba situation, which is another sort of cloud hanging over things. I'd like to see Van der Beek given more of a chance. This is just a very long-winded way of saying I have absolutely no idea, because how can, how can you have any idea what's going to happen with United? And in terms of where I stand overall at the moment, I don't want to get rid of Solskjaer. I think I don't, I don't want to start all over again, again. It's tiring and it's tiresome. I understand why people have so many reservations about him. I've got reservations about him. I try and be objective. There's probably a part of me that that is giving him a lot more sort of rope because of who he is. Um, but I've also seen huge improvements since he took over from Mourinho. Um, this is the most I've enjoyed watching United in since Fergie retired, probably. N- not mm, probably, yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, I agree, yeah. um, I agree. There are there are serious short shortcomings, of course there are. But I do think that's partly down to his naivety as a manager, and I think I hope he'll learn. I don't think he's been backed as much as he would have wanted to be in the transfer window, in the transfer market, sorry. We did all the hard work in the group, the Champions League group, and, and then blew it, basically. And that is mm. a huge frustration. And actually, most of that is on Solskjaer, I have to say. You know, not just because of what, what Rich was saying about the defence earlier, but also just big, big key decisions at key moments that he's got horribly wrong. But I don't think there's any point changing changing things right now. So, yeah, that's where I am. No, no. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen soon if anything happens. But, I mean, the, the, the and the point that I go back to is the one that, Rich, when we were speaking after the 6-1 game against Spurs earlier this season, I'll return to that in the sense that if Solskjaer, when Solskjaer goes, 
he will go with more goodwill than Mourinho and Van Gaal put together because of who he is and what he represents to the United fan base. And he will also get more backing and more understanding that it hasn't worked out primarily because of how inept the board and the people running this club are. You know, we're not long removed from an absolutely shambolic transfer window where most of our business was conducted on the final day. We spent all summer mucking around with Jaden Sancho and didn't end up getting him or anyone else in for the right flank. And that's worth reiterating when it comes to looking at the overall picture when it comes to Solskjaer. The club is still so dysfunctional when it, at board level in terms of the people who run it and the people who make decisions and allow cash to, to go out and pay for players that that is undermining the efforts of a manager. And that will affect any manager, regardless of his quality, when Solskjaer's replacement comes in. But that doesn't excuse the problems that Solskjaer has when it comes to organisation tactics because it's just not there. It's just not consistently good enough. And I'm not going to say it's never going to be good enough, but we've got far too much evidence to suggest that it isn't good enough enough for it to really get any better than it is now. Not consistently. And that's a real shame. And that's a real bum note to finish the podcast in. So give me quick predictions for Saturday. Come on, some positivity. Paul, go. Uh, two on to United. Nice, Rich. Keep it going, keep it going. I'll be absolutely delighted if we only concede one. Um, <laughs> I love honestly. you. I love you so much. Uh, I, I, I think we could probably lose that 3-1. It could go quite badly. But that's a problem for future us to worry about. Tomorrow we've got it to is. deal with waking up in the morning and thinking about how annoyed we are what we've just in this evening. But that's a problem for future us to worry about. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me. We'll leave it there for tonight. Cheers, Owen. Everyone, thanks very much for listening this week, even though I can't imagine it's been the most fun of episodes. But regardless, much appreciated. And don't forget, it's also incredibly helpful if you could please leave a review for us on iTunes or in a subscription or uh, anything along on Acast or following on Spotify. All this stuff helps build our listener base and the podcast itself and makes us sound better and makes us feel better as well. So thank you very much for that. Don't forget, you can always get us all over Twitter. You can get Rich at Rich Red Voices, Paul at Paul Gunning One, me at You and Like This, and the podcast itself at Red Voices MUFC if you want to discuss anything that's been going on. And there's plenty of it to discuss. We'll be back after this City game, potentially, if we feel up to it. We'll see. Take care. Bye. <laughs>